Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by CP4 Monday, February 8th, following Super Bowl 55. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, joined by Jeff Duncan from The Athletic and Todd Graffinini from NewOrleansSaints.com and obviously the voice of the New Orleans Pelicans to do a little recap of Super Bowl 55. Also talk about Peyton Manning becoming a first ballot Hall of Famer. First of all, gentlemen, uh, Todd and I were talking a little bit before we uh, started recording. He said he went to bed angry last night. What were your thoughts uh, before the game, maybe before this weekend about this matchup and now sitting here on Monday morning uh, after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeated the Chiefs 31 to nine? Todd, I'll let you go first. Well, first of all, Caroline, thanks for having me. Um, You know, as a New Orleans Saints fan, I I think that would be an understatement as far as the anger goes, because, you know, you go into the Super Bowl and it's a national holiday and obviously the teams are in it. You're like, well, you're going to watch the game anyway. And let the record state that Todd said all day on Friday when I told him we were doing this show that he was not going to watch the Super Bowl. I wasn't going to watch. I wasn't going to watch a whole lot of it. Now, I did not. I did not watch the uh, the Rams. New England Super Bowl. That one I did not watch. Right. That was a good one to miss. Yeah, I know. Well, you know what? I could have missed last night also, Jeff, and that really wouldn't have mattered because it wasn't much of a ball game. And again, as the game continued on, I'm thinking to myself, boy, the Saints really let an opportunity go because this is a Tampa team that we've seen this year three times. And there's no question about it that the Saints matched up very, very well with them. Uh, The two games in the regular season obviously speak for themselves. What happened in the playoffs, you know, that that Jared Cook fumble really turned the momentum and Tampa was able to get, but when you, when you win a Super Bowl, you have to have breaks like that. You get breaks like that. You make your own breaks. But if any Saints fan went to bed last night thinking that that couldn't have been the New Orleans Saints winning the Super Bowl, that's how I went to bed. And it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. But, you know, look, I picked the Bucks to win the game. Ooh. I just felt like they were playing better at, at yep. that time. And I think we all kind of underestimated uh, the loss up front of their offensive linemen. I mean, they were playing. The Chiefs were playing that game without four of their five starting offensive linemen from the start of the season. Can you imagine if that were the Saints going in without Ramchek and Armstead right. and, uh, you know, McCoy? I mean, it would be piecemeal. Uh, so you could just – I think sense that they were going to have trouble moving the ball. And I think for Saints fans, when you look at that game last night, it might help you now understand a little bit better why Drew Brees and the offense were having so much trouble finding receivers downfield, getting open, moving the ball. The Bucks defense was just yep. playing lights out at the end of the season. It reminded me a lot of the New York Giants when they won the Super Bowl as a wild card team with Eli Manning. And they just got hot at the end of the year and beat the New England Patriots, who hadn't lost a game all season long. It was a very similar kind of momentum that, that the Bucks gathered there at the end. Yeah, great points, Jeff. And, and the other thing, too, Caroline and Jeff, is the Bucks got the advantage of playing Kansas City, you know, about a month and a half ago. And, of course, Tyreek Hill had that unbelievable first quarter in that game, which was in Tampa. It had, what, 230 yards receiving in the mm-hmm. first quarter? Well, Tampa adjusted after that. And basically since the first quarter of that game, Tampa did a pretty good job on Kansas City. And Todd Bowles' game plan, the defensive coordinator uh, for the Bucks, was just flawless. And coupled along with the fact that 
Kansas City's offensive line was basically a turnstile all night. Mahomes is running for his life. He was able to get Kelsey here and there, but uh, I just think it was it was really a defensive effort that was worthy of Super Bowl. I mean, Tom Brady got the MVP, but he wasn't the MVP. You could have yeah. given it to, you know, to Devin White, who was all over the field last night. But, of course, you can't give an MVP to a defensive coordinator. But that's who won the game. I mean, Kansas City didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, and let's get into that because Mahomes, as you said, was pressured on 29 of 56 dropbacks. I mean, he, like you said, was running for his life. I think we all have this this um, perspective on uh, Patrick Mahomes that he's almost like Superman. Like he can come into the game and under any situation, take it over. And while that may be true, if you can't see the guys that you're throwing to, or you can't give the ball off, or you don't have any time to do anything, it's hard to do much. Jeff, we'll start with you. What was your, what were your thoughts on what Todd Bowles was able to do to this Kansas city chiefs offense, who has basically had their way with everyone on the league up until this game? Well, I think he followed the same game plan that he used to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and Drew Brees and the Saints. I mean, they were playing so well up front, uh, and he knew they had an advantage up front that they could get after Mahomes uh, with that broken-down offensive line, and they didn't have to blitz that much. They didn't have to come after him because they could win up front with just four. Sometimes they did come after him. They mixed things up. But I think really the story – is the back end of Tampa Bay's defense. I mean, the difference between where they were at at the beginning of the season when the Saints saw them and where they were at even in midseason when the Saints lit them up down in Tampa Mm -hmm. and what they were like at the end of the year. I mean, we saw it in the Superdome in that game where they eliminated the Saints. Drew Brees did not have receivers open downfield. He was having to hold the ball. It was frustrating for everybody, including the Saints, certainly the fan base. But you see why these young DBs, Guys like Sean Murphy Bunning, Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield, a rookie, a sensational rookie. Uh, they all kind of came into their own and played with confidence and swagger. And I think that made the difference because there weren't open receivers downfield. And they had a good game plan to take Tyreek Hill out by double teaming him. They weren't going to let him dominate the way he did in their first matchup. Great point. And look, I'm just going to piggyback it along. And I, you know, during the game, I'm on phone. I'm on the phone with buddies, and of course, I'm venting the entire time. <laughs> you? But uh, no. yeah, exactly. Imagine that. But to me, Jeff, it's all about pass rush. It's all about pass rush. And if you can pressure the quarterback with four, and like you said, they brought an extra rusher every once in a while, but for the most part, they did it with four guys. If you can pressure the quarterback with four guys consistently you're going to win football games because that makes everybody else better. And everybody else on the Bucks defense is pretty good to begin with. So it, it just, it goes hand in hand to me, the pass rush is everything. And um, you know, they were able to get it done, but they, uh, they just, they're solid in all three aspects of the defense up front linebacker. And as Jeff just mentioned in the back end, you get that. And they're the Super Bowl champs. Well, look, and I would say this, Todd, this team's solid in every phase of the game. I mean, their offense, they can run the ball now with that one-two punch of Fournette and Rojo. Obviously, the passing game has always been there. It's gotten better as the year's gone on, as they've tweaked the offense around Tom Brady's strengths. So when I looked at this game as a matchup, I thought, where's the Bucs' weakness? They really don't have a weakness. They're playing at a pseudo-home game. I'm sure it felt a little more like a home game to them 
than Kansas City, and they were playing with a lot of confidence. It just made a lot of sense, coupled with the fact that Kansas City was banged up up front along the offensive line. I think that was really the story. I mean, they were playing with backups along the offensive line, and as as much of a wizard as as Patrick Mahomes is, and we saw that in that Saints game, how many times did he run around for his life and make a play downfield? Those plays weren't there to be had last night because of the guys on the back end were so sticky in their coverage. Uh, just me though. I just, I can't get 38 three out of my head. I just can't. I just can't. As uh, Jeff said in the text message that we were talking in, in last night to set this podcast up, at least it's not the Atlanta Falcons, you know, at least it's not the Atlanta Falcons. That's the only thing I have left in life. Caroline is an NFL. Look, we got our Super Bowl, and hopefully we'll get another one. Okay. Right. Tampa's got Tampa's got two now. Tampa doesn't bother me as much because, you know, the crazy thing is the last time Tampa won the Super Bowl, the Saints beat them twice that year in 2002. So maybe we shouldn't beat Tampa twice. I don't know what it is. But the point is, the only thing I have left is to keep the Atlanta Falcons from winning the Super Bowl. That's all I got left. I can can confidently say Graf would not be doing the podcast today if the Falcons won. I think most people listening to this would probably think, how have you gone this long in the podcast without talking about Tom Brady and his excellence? I mean, Jeff, you tweeted it last night. How big of an accomplishment is it to not only make it to the Super Bowl, but to go through the gauntlet of Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes to do that? And to do it at the age of 43. I think yeah. that's what makes it extraordinary. I mean, he does not look like a 43-year-old quarterback out there I mean he still has tremendous arm strength his ability he reminds me so much of Drew Brees in his ability to diagnose defenses and get them in the right play and not make mistakes I mean he made some against the Packers and and Aaron Rodgers no doubt about it but last night I thought he played pretty much air-free football and I think what people underestimate about really great players like Drew Brees and Tom Brady is their ability to lead, how they raise the standard for everyone in the building, teammates, coaches, equipment managers, support staff. There's this intrinsic value when you get a truly great player in the building like that. And I think that's what he did. He instilled confidence in his teammates. Uh, this is the same team that could not you know, get to the playoffs without Tom Brady. And it's that little uh, residual value that he brings, the confidence uh, you know, the competence and leadership that I think uh, everyone in the locker room feels and players play better around him because they have that confidence from Tom Brady. And we saw that last night on the field. I mean, the Bucks had a swagger about them. You could tell they thought they were going to win that football game. And that's what I've seen over the years from Drew Brees uh, with the Saints. It's a very similar kind of thing that I don't think it takes a nuanced approach to appreciate. And it was all, it was crazy. And before we get to Utah, it was crazy to see the progression of Tom Brady's leadership throughout this season, because I think several times we would watch Tampa Bay games and we would be like, Oh no, trouble in paradise because Tom's yelling at his offensive lineman, banging his helmet on the bench. And now we see this finished product and it almost just seemed effortless. Todd, go ahead to what you were going to say. Caroline, it's crazy because I think now we've been working together so much. You basically took the same thought I was going to say, Right out, but no, 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 that's no, it's good. The, the point is, is that Tampa wasn't this good all year long. It, I mean, they were scuffling. Remember, the Saints won the division. The Saints won the division. Hmm. So Tampa really never had a hold on things. I go back to their game in Atlanta 
when Atlanta was up, I want to say it was 24 to nothing. I think it was 17 time. nothing for it sure. Was seven, 17. 17 to nothing. And that I'm watching that game because if the Falcons win that game, the Saints would have clinched that day. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks scored 31 points in the second half. They shut Atlanta. Atlanta scored one touchdown in the second half. They beat them 31 to 24, and they've never looked back since that game. And they just got better and better and better. Because, again, they weren't playing very well most of the season uh, to go on to Caroline's point. So, you know, the old adage is you got to be playing your best football when it counts at the end of the year, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As we uh, kind of joke about sometimes with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, you want to ascend at the right time, and you have to do the hand motion when you do it too. Um, Jeff, how big of a signing was Leonard Fournette to this Tampa Bay Bucks team? I mean, he didn't really have much production maybe at the beginning, but at the end certainly found his stride on this offense. Well, it was a very is integral to them winning it all. I mean, I, I think we clearly saw the LSU Leonard version of Leonard Fournette. Uh, in the playoffs. I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with, showed why he was a top five overall pick in the draft. And anyone that from the New Orleans area, from from Louisiana, that they knew what kind of talent the Bucks were getting. I remember tweeting out after they signed him, this is going to be big. I mean, it was right before the Saints opener, if everybody remembers uh, that they brought him on board. It kind of went under the radar, I think, because his career in Jacksonville kind of fizzled out there at the end. He had some off the field issues. And I, I don't think people quite understood what kind of talent they were getting. And you throw him in with the addition of Rob Gronkowski, who obviously came there to be with Tom Brady. And then they go out and get Antonio Brown uh, in midseason. Three Pro Bowl level players all jump on board, mainly because of the greatness of Tom Brady. They want to be a part of that. And they all end up scoring touchdowns last night. It was it was a huge part of why this team was so much better than they were a year ago, not just Tom Brady. You know, something we were all talking about maybe around halftime was the impact of the officials on this game. The Chiefs finished the game with 11 penalties for 120 yards. The first half, eight penalties for 95 yards um, against the the Kansas City Chiefs. Todd, how much were you thinking that impacted the game? Do you think it was fair officiating? What were your thoughts on the officiating? Because obviously that's kind of a talking point today. Well, I really didn't have an issue with it. The point is, though, if you're giving up 100 yards in – in penalty yard, in penalties, you've got a very, very serious handicap yeah. uh, already going into it. So the, the Chiefs didn't help themselves. I didn't think that there was anything really out of the ordinary where they're going to be talking about it all day long. It just they had a bad game at the yeah. worst possible time. Right. Talking about the Chiefs. Jeff, anything to add to that? Well, the only one I thought that was kind of controversial was just the one where the uh, and I think it might have been Breland. I can't remember what DB it was for the Chiefs lost his footing and, and, and knocked right. down Mike Evans from behind. Right. Uh, that was kind of a 50-50 call. Uh, a lot of times they let that go because it's incidental contact. It was a key third down uh, conversion. I think it was right before halftime. They ended up getting a touchdown. That play I think you could have been upset about, but otherwise I thought most of the calls were good ones. Yeah. Well, Jeff has said that he went into the game thinking that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to win. I thought the Kansas City Chiefs were going to win pretty handedly. But at what point in the game, maybe Todd, I'll ask you first, at what point did the, in the game did you think Tampa Bay was was going to pull <laughs> this one out? Uh, probably midway in the third. Yeah. They, just, they just had established on both sides of the ball. And 
like I said, again, I'm watching some of the highlights right now in front of me. I mean, Mahomes is running 25 yards backwards. It's like you start doing that. You're you're in deep deep trouble, and still um, making some pretty good passes I, when he. Oh came. man! That, oh my goodness! That throw he had to get at the back corner of the end zone that actually got caught when he was running backwards twenty five yards. Like the guy can, he's an unbelievable player, and he was pretty ordinary last night. Tampa made him look ordinary. Yeah, no <laughs> touchdowns. Well, look, we we've all seen Mahomes author these incredible comebacks. I mean, just a year ago against the Houston Texans, right. you know, they, they came back from 20-something down. So you never could really feel assured that the Bucks had this thing in hand. But right at the start of the second half, like Todd mentioned, I think Mahomes drove them down the field. They were knocking on the goal line, and they had to settle for another field yep. goal. And I said, this isn't going to get it done. I mean, you could just see – and it, this reminded me a lot of the fourth quarter of the Bucks saints game. The, the Bucks were winning the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And once that happens, I mean, that's still how football games are won. You went up front and they were winning both lines of scrimmage. You could see it when, when Kansas city got down there, they couldn't run the ball at all. And they had to rely on Mahomes to make a sandlot play to move the ball. And that's just, you know, sometimes it's going to work out. Sometimes it's not. And it didn't happen for him last time. Look, Mahomes is a great uh, engineer of comebacks, but (laughs) you can't keep relying on that sooner or later. It's going to bite you in the rump. And you know they got down again last night, and they weren't able to. They weren't able to come back last night. That's Tampa's defense was too superior. Well, I will say it with tongue in cheek before we move on to some Pro Football Hall of Fame talk. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, winners of Super Bowl Fifty Five. Tom Brady, seventh Super Bowl, fifth Super Bowl MVP, first player to win multiple titles after turning forty. As Todd Graffinini rips his hair out. Um, the last, Temple Rub, Caroline. The Temple Rub. Last Super Bowl question, uh, and I think we have a great uh, pool of judges here. What were your thoughts on the halftime performance and maybe the commercials? <laughs> Oh, let me start off. I didn't. I don't even know who that was at halftime. <laughs> Obviously, I'm an old, old man because uh, I was like tweeting out, texting friends, saying, "What am I watching? I have no idea what's going on." Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I was a big weekend fan myself. <laughs> I'm a little younger than you, Jeff, but um, I can't believe how bad the audio was. Uh, you know, don't they rehearse these things? Uh, I mean, they're supposed to. And when you've got audio problems in a Super Bowl halftime show, that's not good. Yeah. And uh, that that's the one thing. You know, he has that one, really two songs that most people know. And he ended it with his go-to song. But the audio was so bad, you, you couldn't really enjoy it, even if you like the guy. I just don't know if I would have – I know he's a, you know, star and everything, but I don't know if – I don't know if he's Super Bowl worthy. Yeah, I, um, as our token millennial here on the podcast, I wasn't a huge weekend fan going into it. Also, just so for your text threads, it's weekend without the E on the Correct, correct. I do know that. Yeah, there you go. After last night, he's week done. (laughs) Hey, I will say this. I I loved the, (laughs) this is going to show my age as well, but I love the uh, Wayne's World Cardi B commercial. That was like my favorite commercial. Yeah, thought that was really creative. There were a bunch of good commercials, I'll say that. Uh, my, mine absolutely was the Cheetos commercial with Ashton Kutcher and, uh, and Kunis and Shaggy. And Shaggy, it, it, wasn't it wasn't me. me. That, yeah. that by far my favorite. That was a pretty good one. Uh, yeah, I think the weekend's performance overall uh, 
gave me nightmares. I will definitely say that. Uh, okay, let's move into some Hall of Fame talk. Uh, eight pro, or eight Hall of Famers, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, John Lynch, Alan Fanica, Peyton Manning, Drew Pearson, Bill Nunn, and Tom Flores. Um, Jeff, so many years covering the Manning family, covering now his son at Newman or the, um, the is it the grandson grandson yeah grandson um archie over at newman just your thoughts on peyton manning getting into the the pro football hall of fame well it was a no-brainer right i mean i can tell you we we did a the meeting this year virtually for the first time ever uh we held the selection committee meeting and i presented sam mills i'm, I'm the new orleans representative so usually you know the way this thing works is you, you almost feel like a defense attorney presenting a case for your for your uh, client and uh, you make the case for the Hall of Fame for uh, the player that you represent. For, for Peyton Manning, this is only the second time I've ever seen it happen. Mike Chappell from the Indianapolis Star, longtime Colts beat writer, literally just said, I present Peyton Manning, and I dropped the mic, basically. That's all <laughs> the case that had to be made because it was a no-brainer. I mean, he's obviously the, the all-time great, a five-time MVP. There was no – a doubt that he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And and look, it was a strong class of first-time eligible players. Uh, Calvin Johnson also getting in, uh, uh, Charles Woodson as well. And I, I don't think people quite understand, like on the selection committee, I know we get a lot of criticism sometimes because of players that don't get in. And you get criticized for saying, oh, you know, this player deserves to be in. Look, we're only allowed to put five of the 15 in by the bylaws. So – when a player doesn't get in, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the committee doesn't believe uh, believe that they belong in the Hall of Fame. It's strictly, who do you pick? It, I compare it to like a beauty pageant. Everyone's beautiful in the pageant. I mean, it's just a matter of your taste, right? Sometimes it's subjective. And in this case, you had three really strong first-year eligible candidates. And I was really happy to see former LSU offensive lineman, great Alan Fanica get in. I voted for him for the last few years, definitely deserving uh, so it was a great class and a, and a great night and a great celebration for a, a great career in Peyton Manning. And I know, Jeff, you were talking about making the case for Sam Mills. I mean, tough year once again for him not getting in. When do you think we'll finally turn that page and get him into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Well, he's going to get in. There's no doubt in my mind. Once you kind of make it to the final uh, 15, hmm. it, historically, those players end up eventually getting in. It's just going to be a little bit of a wait for Sam uh, and I know it's tough for his family. He's certainly deserving. Uh, he has a lot of support in the room. Uh, I think what makes Sam such a strong candidate was he did it not only in New Orleans, but also transformed the Carolina Panthers organization. I mean, there's a statue to him outside their stadium to this day. And he also was an incredible player. And I think this is lost on a lot of people with the Philadelphia Stars of the USFL. And I have to remind people all the time it's the pro football hall of fame it's not the nfl hall of fame what he did in the usfl counts towards his hall of fame candidacy and those were some prime years for sam mills i mean those were his mid-20s when he's in the prime of his career and he was the mvp of that team in a league that had future hall of famers like reggie white and steve young he was one of the best players in that league so you could make a very strong case for sam mills and i know ricky jackson one of the greats, obviously a Hall of Famer for the Saints, uh, believes he's the best player he ever played with, and that's that's good enough for me. 
All right, gentlemen, well, we will let you get on with your uh, Monday. Todd Graffinini from NewOrleansSaints.com will be on the call uh, later this week for the New Orleans Pelicans. Jeff Duncan joining us from The Athletic. Make sure you go uh, check out his work, of course, this offseason, um, available on Twitter and, of course, on The Athletic, the app, and both uh, the desktop website, all that jazz. Uh, we appreciate your time, gentlemen.